What would it take to arouse your life, to experience more connection, more pleasure, more realness in and outside of the bedroom? I'm August McLaughlin, and this is Girl Boner Radio. I was living in London, England. I had just broken up with my partner and we were together for five years. So it was like fresh out of a relationship. I didn't know my head from my ass. I didn't know what I was doing. And I worked at a hair salon. I managed this like high-end hair salon. It was like the most prestigious hair salon in London. It was like in a really rich area. Lots of prestigious people there. And there was this little bar down the street from the hair salon. And we were there, I was there for like an after work drink. And the relationship that I previously just got out of, although I was in love with him, like he, he like never really had a like great job. And my mom was always saying to me, like from such a young age, I don't take this story on as my own, but I, I definitely did in this moment. Like you need to date someone who can fully take care of you. So when I met this guy, he was like dripping in Chanel. I'm like, Oh, let me fulfill my mom's dream right now. And like date this person. When that handsome, charming man approached Samantha Skelly at the bar and started talking about all these businesses that he owned, and he seemed really taken by her. She was abuzz with pheromones and fantasies. Plus, she was still feeling vulnerable from that breakup. It was a time when someone else taking care of her seemed dreamy. It was like that, that princess syndrome. I'm like the warrior that like comes to like, comes to save the day. And like, that was that moment. I'm like, yes, I'll go on a date with you. (laughs) There was a park by my house called Clapham Common. And he's like, let's go for a picnic in a park. I'm like, great. That sounds amazing. Like, let's, let's do that. And so I got all ready in the morning. I walked to the park and he was there and he had like the, like the red flannel blanket with the wicker basket and the bottle of champagne and the strawberry. And I was like, Whoa, like this guy's pulling out all the stops. Like I was lucky if my ex took me to Burger King, you know, I was like, wow, this is amazing. He was like, um, European. So he had like that very like suave type of like, you know, like the, the soccer players in Europe are like very like, like, you know, romantic. It was that vibe. And I was like, okay, I can get down with this. Samantha said that the whole date seemed idyllic. They spent hours talking, eating strawberries and sipping champagne. He asked her about her life and he seemed genuinely interested in her thoughts and dreams. He seemed like a different flavor of gentleman, she said. Than she had dated in the past, someone she could even see a future with. Shortly after that, though, this rom com like experience turned into something more like the setup for a lifetime movie. She was like, How adventurous are you? I was like, I'm so adventurous. And then we played, it was, it was like a game of truth or dare. And we were like going back and forth and like adventurous in like how much we will tell the other person about like our past life or our relationships or breakup or whatever it is. And then he was like, he's like, okay, I got a dare. And I'm like, okay, well, what's the dare? He's like, I dare you to come to Paris with me for dinner. And I was like, accepted. (laughs) 
So we like packed up the picnic and he's like, okay, I bought tickets for the, the, the little train thing. I'm like, okay, cool. I went home. I changed. I, I, I packed a little, a little overnight bag. I'm like, this is great. Um, and it was fun until the dinner when I was getting grilled about the potentiality of being his wife. And if I could handle it, basically, if I could handle it, I'm like, I've known you for six hours, Franco. What the fuck? <laughs> The scariest part of that was what Samantha felt in her body, a knowing that something was very, very wrong. And given the dramatic change in this guy's demeanor, the shift from charming to seemingly manipulative, red flags were flying. I asked Samantha if she was familiar with love bombing, when you're bombarded with superficial charm by someone only to learn their true colors later once you feel emotionally hooked in. She told me she has heard about it, and she too has heard stories like this, but they don't usually move so quickly. Literally within hours, she said, he became pushy and controlling, demanding answers about the wife she would be for him. She said it was a rapid story unfolding before her eyes. And I kept thinking to myself, is this actually happening? Did he actually just say that? Are we actually here? And then my sort of like signals came on of like, I got a friggin' abort mission right now. I got to figure this out. I need to escape. Like, how the fuck do I get? I'm in Paris by myself. Like, how do I get out of the situation? And so I was like planning my escape route. And I was fearful that he wouldn't let me leave. I was fearful that he'd be like, no, you're here with me. You have to stay with me. But she knew she had to try. So she stood up and said, I got to go. And I think I had enough discernment in my voice to be like, I'm good. I'm going to grab a taxi and I'm going to find another hotel. Thankfully, she did. And later on, she could see more clearly why she was especially vulnerable to someone with iffy and potentially harmful intentions back then. If he had done more than scare her, of course, it would not have been her fault. Still, she said the experience taught her a lot about the importance of taking care of ourselves during times of heartache and loss. I think there's this interesting phase after you go through a really gnarly breakup where there is that, that like, it's almost like you have like a love hangover and you're like, oh my gosh, I need to feel this way again. And so you make decisions out of alignment and you make decisions coming from the, the wound versus your, your true self, your, your knowledgeable self. And that's where that decision was coming from. It's like, I, I want to be loved. I want a man who can take care of me. I'm so upset this relationship ended. I have so much like shame and guilt because I told the whole world that I was going to marry this person. And now look at me, I'm single as fuck. And I'm like, oh, like I was in such a like state of like fear and down on myself that I was so malleable to other people's agendas. Yeah. And so it's so important that when we are in those phases where we break up with the person and we're feeling vulnerable to really nurture and nourish the part of ourselves that is feeling vulnerable so that we don't make decisions like that because we want love because love is so addicting, you know, today, years and lots of personal growth later. Samantha is the founder of Pause Breathwork, a company on a mission to decrease human suffering by using the breath for healing. And in some ways, experiences like that date inform her work with clients. She told me that so much of what she teaches 
involves self-consent. Being in consent with ourselves. And that was a moment where I was not in consent with myself because I was disassociated. I was in my head. I was thinking of something else. And so, so much of the work that I do is embodiment work, getting in our body so we can really discern the difference between a yes and a no, so that we have the self-consent to make decisions that are in alignment and not out of a place of wounding or a distortion. If that sounds like something that you would like to work on, Samantha offered this as a good place to start. There's stages of emotionality, right? And the first stage is emotional retraction, where we're just numb, we're tense, we're in denial of the feeling. And then the stage two after that one would be emotional knowing like, okay, I now have awareness of my emotionality and awareness of my numbness, my tension, whatever it is. And then there's emotional intimacy where we can actually like feel into the emotion and, and understand like, oh, wow, there's so much going on on such a cellular level. And there's all sorts of, you know, sensations happening. And then there's emotional maturity where we're embodied and we're integrated. So we can't go from numbness to, to emotional maturity. We got to go through the, got to go through the phases. And so much of it is just, we have an emotion. Are we going to resist it or accept it? That's the first stage of it because we have to feel in order to heal. I love that so much. You can learn more about those kinds of practices and how to use your breath for healing by downloading Samantha Skelly's company's app at pausebreathwork.com app. Indeed, breath is powerful. Some people even have orgasmic experiences by synchronizing it. That's basically what happened for G.S. Youngblood some years ago. And it ties into a listener question we'll get to in a bit here. G.S. told me his hottest sexual experience ever was more energetic than physical. It took place less than a year after he was separated from someone he had been married to for about 10 years. He said that marriage ended in a bit of a ball of flames a painful ending. Sexuality had been sort of shut down in that marriage, and now he was in an exploration phase. That's when he met a woman who, well, took his breath away. We had a common friend who was a dating coach here in San Francisco, and she put a mixer on and she hand curated 12 men, 12 women, and brought us together with meaningful interactions. And there was just a way about her. G.S. was matched up with a bunch of people at the event, but she was the only one he felt compelled to call afterwards. They started dating, and about four months in, they had that energetic sexual experience, which was also one of their first. This is the funny thing is, I'll speak for myself, but I kind of think this is true for a lot of men. It's like, the more important the person becomes to you, or the, the more like... Uh, what uh, more of a match there seems to be. Like I personally, I don't feel any need to rush the sexuality. I'd rather savor it and develop something underneath that. If I feel like, wow, this one's really special. So why hurry? So we were not having, we chose not to, and I should probably even led a little bit more by me for, for, for many months actually. But that gives birth to the story here is we were close on. And I remember you know, we were in front of the fire and, you know, I was on top of her and 
this is, um, I think our experience was in line with what people pursue when they study Tantra, of like real union between two people. And it comes through the breathing, of course, like I think everybody sort of at least mentally gets that, whether you've experienced it or not is a different story, but comes through the synchronization of the breathing, of the eye contact, of just total presence and synchronization. And that's not something I'd had an experience of with other women up to that point in my life. And there was something magical about that night where we both had near orgasmic experiences. And again, clothes were on and there wasn't even a lot of like genital rubbing necessarily other than bodies rubbing against each other, but it wasn't like she was stroking me through my pants or something like literally it was energetic. If you had tried to convince me that was possible six months before that, I would just sort of laughed and said, ha ha, nice, nice woo woo stuff. But it, it, part of that gave, was I think possible because we just didn't, we didn't have the intention to be sexual. So it wasn't like this like biological drive to get there, to get somewhere. So we were able to rest in what is, and that is part of what unlocked, um, I think, the, the synchronicity of that experience. Where we both remember it to this day. I mean, we both still talk about it. This was many years ago. And it was powerful. It was powerful. When he shared that, it made me think of what Dr. Ian Kerner talked about recently on the show about every sexual experience having a story arc, a beginning, a middle, an end. Gia said, yeah, it definitely felt that way. Well, it definitely crescendoed up. I mean, we were, it wasn't just we showed up in the same room and, and then sparks flew. You know, it was over time. I mean, I think there was probably a 20-minute warm-up to, uh, to a, you know, a, a quote-unquote climax. It was definitely... Um, I don't want to use the word effort because that has the wrong connotation, but there was, there was a buildup, a conscious buildup of, of the breathing, of the presence, of just feeling even the slightest movement of her body or the shudder and, and vice versa, like the really feeling into the other. Because there was nowhere to get to, he said, he was able to open up to those sensations more. No words were exchanged. But there was a hell of a lot of heavy breathing. <laughs> yeah, a lot of synchronized breathing, a lot of eyes, you know, speaking with the eyes, speaking with the, with the sounds one makes. And after some buildup came what sort of felt like an orgasm, he said, like a full body energetic climax. I sort of distinctly remember having just it was like an all over body shudder. Um, it, it was in some ways like an orgasm. It wasn't ejaculatory and it wasn't, I'm, this is not the kind of the non-ejaculatory techniques that like that some men do. It wasn't consciously trying to do that, but it was just like, whoa, and, and my whole body shook. And I think I had some, some vocal expression as well. And she was in that same state. So there was a, it was a point after that shudder that we sort of came out of it and we're like, Oh my God, what was that? Not just the, not just the, the, la the last moment of it, but the whole thing. It was like, we were both like, whoa, that's, that was powerful. GS now works as a men's coach who specializes in nice guys in relationships who want to feel more in their power. And he tries to pay some of what he learned in that experience forward. So this is, you know, this is one of the things I coach guys. It's like, 
play with the energetics, work on, you know, most guys will sort of snicker a little bit. Oh, the sexual union, like, don't give me this woo woo stuff. Like, no guys, really, honestly, there's so much to be played with in the energetics of it. He said, you may as well try it and see how your partner responds. If you want to give energetic sex a go, GS suggested this. At a, at a high level, I'd say go find a, a tantric workshop, you know, a, a reputable one. There's a, there's a lot of pseudo tantra out there, so maybe sift through that. But sort of what you can try tonight, get two stools, sit across from each other, um, be about at least 24 inches apart, and don't make it a staring contest, and don't make it like you need to mind read her. What you want to do, he said, is hold eye contact while feeling as though you are in your own body. GS teaches embodiment exercises to help people learn how to do that. If, if all you can do is just kind of breathe and just feel the rise and fall of your breath, but don't let it be a staring contest. Don't let it be a mind reading exercise. It's, it's I see you, I'm with you, but I feel myself. So that's part one. And then part two is synchronize the breath. He recommends using ujjayi breath, which is also sometimes called ocean breath, whisper breath, or snoring breath. You breathe in and out through your nose and constrict your throat to make what really does sound like snoring. Apparently, your inhales and exhales should be about equal in length, according to experts. So GS suggests doing this together and working to synchronize your breathing so that you're inhaling and exhaling together. So synchronize the breath and just do that for about two or three minutes. There's no goal other than synchronization. GS told me that his first experience with synchronized breathing as part of energetic sex really shifted things for him moving forward. Uh, I was more committed to this kind of synchronization work and energetics and leading us into that in, in, in maybe before we were to get into bed uh, per se. Um, so I became very committed to it because I'd seen the power of it. You can learn more from G.S. in his book, The Masculine in Relationship, which he described as a blueprint for how men can be more in their masculine power when they are with a strong woman. Or sign up for his mailing list at gsyoungblood.com. Before we get to our listener question, I have to give a shout out to our wonderful sponsor, The Pleasure Chest. Their website is so robust and full of sex positivity and inclusivity, and they have so many wonderful toys and accessories to bring more spice and pleasure to your life and relationships. If you're interested in delving into Tantra a little bit, you want to try some of these breathing exercises, search the word Tantra on their website, thepleasurechest.com. And you'll see several books and this wonderful feather teaser that you can really work into this synchronistic play. They also have massage candles. Head to thepleasurechest.com to start shopping. Now for our listener question. I received this one from a member of my Girl Boner Patreon community. And it ties into energetic orgasms, but of the solo play variety. Is it really possible to orgasm with just your mind? I heard the episode where someone had one in a car by accident, and I want to do it on purpose. So far, daydreaming slash imagining has not done it. I love this question, and the topic just fascinates me. 
If you've ever had what I call a sleepgasm along the lines of a wet dream, you have essentially experienced orgasm without physical stimulation, aka thinkgasms, thinking yourself off, a mindgasm. And yes, some people with a vulva do so when they are wide awake intentionally. It's been known to happen for some penis havers too. First, here is that story this patron referenced with some context in an excerpt from my conversation with coach and author Susanna Brisk back in 2018. But I had an, a, a desire for a long time because I can think off to uh, measure myself with some kind of machines that are going to prove to people that I am having orgasms because, you know, a lot of people are just like, oh, yeah, sure. Yes. So would you explain what the thinking off process is for someone who's not familiar or at least for you what it is like? Well, in the book, I talk about this uh, cerebral, emotional and genital how there are three predominant ways that we pick a potential partner and how when we use just one of those ways, we actually limit ourselves and we factor out intuition. As far as I can tell in my uh, rather unscientific study about this, it's a connection between the cerebral, the emotional, and the genital. When that energy flows, that seems like what it is. To me, it's energetic because there's no other way to describe it. There's no other way that science could explain why, because it's not just a thought. The thought has to translate down and give you a physical response. So people who have done Tantra or been involved in the Vedas or uh, a lot of uh, Kundalini, these kinds of sexualities, they already know about this stuff. This is like old hat to them, is that you can uh, make yourself orgasm just by moving energy around. But I didn't come from any of that training. I was totally untrained. It happened to be on the highway thinking about somebody, and I just was like, oh my goodness, <laughs> and I had to pull over. And then once she knew how to do it, Susanna said it became almost like a hobby. She also noted that it's important to keep in mind that there is no superior way to enjoy orgasmic pleasure. You aren't inferior if you can't think yourself off or more superior if you can. But there are some ways to practice and kind of delve into it, ideally without putting a lot of pressure on yourself. Here's what Dr. Megan Fleming of GreatLifeGreatSex.com had to say. I first learned of mind orgasms through the work of Barbara Corellis, who wrote Urban Tantra. My husband and I took her workshop at the Open Center here in New York City, where she demonstrated the fire breath orgasm. And all I can say is I felt like the woman at the table next to Meg Ryan in the diner scene in When Harry Met Sally, because I most definitely wanted what she was having. The idea of thinking yourself to orgasm isn't new. As early as the 1970s, Masters and Johnson research team documented the strong connection between sexuality and thought. So the takeaway here is there is no one way to think yourself to an orgasm. As I always say, you are your own expert, and this is a process of discovery. Knowing that there is evidence to support what we already know, the mind truly is the biggest sex organ. Barbara Carella herself believes and teaches that anyone can have a mind orgasm through learning breathwork, concentration, and fantasy. First, however, you may have to unteach yourself what you've probably absorbed all your life, the messages around sexuality, and even learn from your very first experiences and explorations touching yourself as a kid. 
So I highly recommend you explore mentally turning yourself on without the pressure or expectation or goal of having a mind orgasm. Start with believing it's possible because it's possible. And then focus on your breath, breathing deeply, make noise, lots of noises, rock your hips, moan, fantasize, and lose yourself in the moment. Truly let yourself go. I know it's easy to say, but not always easy to do. Have fun. This is a practice and takes time. It's also a practice that in and of itself feels good and is good for your sex life. So for more information, you can either pick up Urban Tantra or go to Barbara Corellis's website at barbaracorellis.com. Thanks so much, Dr. Megan. I love what she shared about that research and that everyone has their own way and ways of experiencing orgasm. I wish we could have given you a recipe, some one, two, three steps, and you'd be there. But the good part of that is a big adventure awaits you. Another idea that came to me while I was listening to Megan there was stopping yourself from the activity that's bringing you orgasm next time you're having sex, whether by yourself or with a partner. When the orgasm just starts, pull away from whatever stimulus, stimuli you are experiencing and see if you can just feel the rest of the orgasm without any physical stimulation. That might be an interesting thing to try and to kind of, I don't know, train your body to do. Regardless, I am wishing you and everyone who wants it as much orgasmic bliss as you can dream of or imagine. If you would like to support the show and also get some awesome extras, please join me on Patreon, patreon.com slash girlboner. You can also support the show by leaving a rating and review and letting your friends know about it. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.